Theonauts. Number 177. The one where the Theonauts are a couple men screaming in a canyon. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you loyal Theo knotheads out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the Theonauts. That went off perfect. perfect. Like we'd never missed a beat. Exactly. Well, we haven't missed a beat. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so, David. Welcome back to Texas, Jeremiah. Thanks, if only for a day. Yeah, Jeremiah lost his job. Yep. And <laughs> It's fast. I put on some... <laughs> I put on a video on my Facebook. It, it involved, you know, it's nothing big. Just me wearing a bikini. And next thing you know, they're like, uh, Jeremiah, we need to talk. This isn't going to work out. And so here I am. That's not true, actually. Well, the me wearing the bikini thing's true. Yeah. But uh, I didn't. But you haven't, lose, you haven't lost your job no, yet. No, I'm, I'm having fun there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it's been a while since we did the Theo Knots. It has been. Let's see. Moved to te- uh, moved to Oklahoma. Went to camp Falls Creek. Um, that was fun. About yeah. sixty kids. Great, yeah. great, great group of kids. And uh, let's see. Um, just started ministry in Oklahoma and left my best friend in Texas. <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> just keeping my head above water, man. Oh. Yeah, we've been like, uh, I've been busy at work, but um, aside from that, we've been chugging along at the church, changing things up a little bit with uh, worship leading and all that stuff, trying to fill your (laughs) gap. Yeah, you lost your worship leader. Yeah. But your son's been doing a bang-up job from what I'm hearing. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with him. He's stepping up, and it's, it's different, like he's... He is a he is such a good musician. Like right. he can really play the guitar well. Right. And uh, and so he's he's a somewhat of a perfectionist. Sure. He, so he's he's like constantly thinking how horrible he's done, and I'm like, no, it was great. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's just different because he's very soft. Right. Spoken whenever he performs or when he plays. And I'm loud and. And yeah, and you're just like. like Get it. Beating your guitar to death. Pretty much. <laughs> That's what I love to do. So, but so it's I been, play. you know, it's been different. That's good. But still joyous. We're still... Worshiping. Still worshiping. That's what matters, right? hmm So... That's the truth. Man. So, you, you're getting comfortable in your new position yet? Oh, yeah. I I mean, it, it's... it's Back in the saddle. It's like riding a bike. You just hop back on and... You're in, you know, I'm back into the corporate Baptist mindset. No. Uh, well, I, what is the corporate Baptist mindset? Like, I don't know. Church's business. Church's business. <laughs> I don't think church. I don't. I don't think I'm in that mindset. Mm. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, focused on 
preaching, evangelism, worship. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool that you have like a rebuilding opportunity. Oh, it's huge, yeah. Because you can kind of, you know, start from scratch. And- right. And we have a lot of, you know, uh, just a lot of potential. We have a lot of resources. And so it's a lot of resources, endless potential, and it's a rebuilding. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a perfect perfect thing for me. And you got a, a, a lead pastor there that uh, supports oh, you. and what? Yeah, he and I are... Uh, pretty much of the same mind same heart it's really cool so for the most part so everything's great loving it yeah loving it just missing you like crazy ah you see you man it's been you know different (laughs) so we came home or we came yeah we came home we came to the gaddies last night and popped off fireworks and hung out and Mm -hmm. did our thing and now I gotta go back today Uh. after Theonauts anyways yeah so uh, we gotta at least get this in we gotta figure out our remote theonauting. Oh, I like know. Like, how to, to I, make that function. I need to figure out if I need to get a board like that, or you know what I mean, or yeah. how to do it. I guess I plug a you mic into the computer. I mean, we can use Skype oh, yeah? or whatever on your phone. Really? Yeah. So there's tons of ways we could do it. But, but we'll figure it out. Right. Because we're dedicated. Well, I've been thinking about getting a uh, instrument mic, like... You remember the first mic we used Theonauts with? Yeah, the... Um, Blue mic? Bl- yeah, what was it called? I forgot the name of it. But yeah, it was like Blue is the is the brand. I right, think. well, I've been thinking about getting one of those to play music anyways mm-hmm. and record some music, and so I might just... They've got a, a, a little bit cheaper one called a Snowball. It's oh, like yeah? perfectly round really? type of thing. Yeah. Cool. I might just do that. Mm-hmm. See how that works. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, just a condenser mic or whatever. Right. You know, we talk like we know what we're doing. We have no clue. We've been recording the Theonauts for how long? One hundred and seventy-seven <laughs> episodes. Yes, and um, and it's like we're still not sound engineers or nope. anything like that. That's I mean, right. <laughs> like we we've were been just, flying by the seat of our pants ever since. the And beginning. every now and then, I'll get the listener who'll write in and be like, "Man, y'all are clipping. You're hot." When you're talking, you need to really adjust your sound. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're you're probably right. But <laughs> did you listen to what we said though? <laughs> yeah, but it, it burned my ears. It made my ears bleed. Uh, Turn the volume down. Kid. When we when we hit those laughing moments or oh, guffaws or something, and it and it just totally blows your eardrums. Sorry. Yeah. So and usually it's me lately. Like my my vocals have been way high, but. Well, I've got uh, I've got Jer turned down a little bit this time, so that's good. We'll see. If, we'll we'll play it back when we're done. It'll probably be like you'll sound like you're in a canyon yeah. somewhere, and I'm shouting across at you, <laughs> Jeremiah. Um, yeah, David. That's great. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Uh, so oh, so I want to give a shout out to another podcast. Okay. That uh, I've been listening to a little bit. Um, the Bad Baptist podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, I heard about these guys through um, one of them reached out to me because of the uh, the emojis that I did on oh yeah iPhone emojis the stickers right for I've got some for Calvin some for um, uh, Spurgeon sure Edgar Allan Poe Shakespeare sure. I got several of these that they're little stickers that they're like emojis, but they're these right. classic characters and classic classic Christian characters. And uh, they were like, dude, we love the Spurgeon emojis. Can we use one for our logo? 
for this podcast. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I sent him some files so he could put them together. But anyway, they're, um, they've got a pretty decent little show. They're, they're talking about um, um, taboos and things that, uh, that we've kind of made rules that aren't really necessarily a biblical thing. Right. And so it's about... Modern day so Pharisees. yeah when they say they're bad Baptist it just means that they're not necessarily bad Christians although that's relative too but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but that they they're just not in the like I was saying that corporate mindset way of of thinking and sure. uh, but anyway it's a it's it's a nice little podcast you guys should check it out yeah so, sounds pretty cool I haven't listened to it yet but I've heard a lot about it so. Yeah. I need to go well, they're doing stuff. a really they're doing a lot better job of marketing than we did. So they they've really? only they've only done a handful of episodes now. I think they got tons more listeners. Wow. <laughs> so, but hey, it's not about the numbers. That's a Baptist thing, right? That's right. <laughs> corporate mindset, David. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's so funny. funny. So, do we want to do this? Hey, let's jump topic? into it. Okay, hang on a second. I got to find my button. Segway. So it is a segue. You remember the name of the button? Is that? The yeah, that's the name of it. On there. Segue. That makes sense. Um, so this topic, we were actually kind of um, racking our brains about something to talk about. Right. Last night, even. Yeah. Because you know, it's it's just been a while since we've been able to get together and do stuff. So. And we started a topic that's actually kind of deep and requires more study. And we haven't gotten there yet. With all the moves and everything that's been going on. Soon enough, we'll do the topic of um, Jewish perspective of the afterlife, especially yeah. in the Old Testament. Yeah, well, yeah, we want to see, we want to do a, a um, an new to old comparison of how right. uh, the covenants perceive the afterlife. Right. And so... Uh, it's actually an interesting study because there's a lot of beliefs out there that the ancient Jews and the Hebrews had that um, we might surprise you. Sure. And so what they thought happened when you died. Completely <laughs> different than what we what we imagined they would have. Yeah, because so. and so yeah, just as homework, go through the Old Testament and just read through it looking for hints of Right. The afterlife. Like, what did they think happened when you died? It'll blow you away. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how thin the Old Testament really is. That's right. On that. So anyway, we were talking about it, and uh, my life group is doing a study right now that I thought was pretty fun. So we'll do part of it um, today, and yeah. and uh, if it, you know, if we like it, maybe we'll do some more of it. Right. Because it's, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a deep well. I mean, we can just keep digging oh, sure. in this well. But basically what it is, is um, it's, a, it's a study that we picked up from uh, Robbie Gallaty, mm-hmm. and it's called The Forgotten Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the point of it, it just went right into a lot of what the Theonauts has, has been about, which is uh, hermeneutics. Right. Part of your hermeneutics needs to be culture and sure. studying the culture of where Jesus came from, who he's talking to, why he would say what he said. Right. You know, looking at the original intent, uh, intent of, of what he was saying and how the, the the original listeners would have heard it right. versus maybe uh, how we read it when we read it 2,000 years later, yep. coming from a completely different culture. Yeah. And uh, actually, that's been 
part of the problem with modern day Christianity mm -hmm. is that there's not enough hermeneutics happening or not good hermeneutics happening in their exegesis. Mm -hmm. They're not looking uh, back historically to see, okay, what did this type of language mean? So anyway, this, this whole study is about looking at Jesus through a rabbinical or a Jewish mindset, realizing he's not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy exactly. that we sometimes see in these Renaissance pictures. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, in, in pursuit of my degree in... in uh, Literary theory. Um, I had to take class literary theory and criticism, and we talked about the different ways that you can interpret text. Right. And uh, in in our modern mindset, the postmodern mindset now, post postmodern, you'd almost say, um, it's what what does the text mean to you? What's it saying to you? Mm -hmm. You you approach it from your own uh, worldview, your own cultural perspective and whatever the text is saying to you that's what you get out of the text right but you can't interpret scripture that way mm -hmm. um and the problem is so many people do interpret scripture that way they you know they put it in their own cultural context yep and it, it can change the entire meaning of of uh of scripture and mm -hmm. so there, there has to be one real interpretation and it has to be placed in you have to place it author intent in context of culture mm -hmm. in order to to come to, to an fully understanding. understanding. And it doesn't mean that there there can't be some layers of meaning. Right. In fact, that's part of what we want to discuss. There's a bullet point on that. But, um, but at the same time, when we read it with a flat hermeneutic, Bible says that I believe it and that settles that it, settles it yeah. you, you're just completely missing out on what... It is saying, yeah, it does say that, but is it saying what you think it's saying? Right. And so, um, anyway, I just I thought that the study was very interesting. I, it's cool that you mentioned um, your literary classes mm -hmm. teaching you this because this is something that supersedes just biblical study. No, yeah. Like um, it, when I was in college, uh, I have a minor in film, and so uh, one of the one of the courses that I took in college was um, film as a reflection of society. And what we did was we went through, we watched old movies, like silent films from the 20s and stuff like this. Yeah. And then looked at the history of what was happening politically and socially in the countries the films were made in, and it changes your perspective of it completely. Like the film Nosferatu, which is yeah. one of the most popular silent films of all time was done in 1922, I believe. And it's, uh, the first on-screen representation of Dracula. Right. But it was done in Germany. Yeah. Uh, just a German expressionistic film that is basically an anti-Semitic yeah. film. Like it is about the evils of, Ju of Judaism mm -hmm. in their country. Right. And they portray the vampire in there with very Jewish, Features and yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's shocking when you watch it in the context because on one hand it is a vampire story but mm -hmm. on the other hand it fit right into what led up into uh, World War Two right so um, anyway it's just very interesting wow. that when uh, how much context and how much the culture can impact your understanding that's right of the text. 
So one of the first things that uh, we looked at in this uh, study is just the, the difference between um, not even the culture of the time as much as the culture of, a re- of the region. So mm-hmm. Western thought versus Eastern thought. Right. And that's a big, there's a big difference there. Right. And so here, here we are, we're dealing with a culture that come that comes from the Middle East and they, in general, they think differently as in terms of, uh, logic. Hmm. Um, and one of those things is, uh, we are a culture in our Western culture. We're a culture of, um, of debate. Yeah. Right. I mean, and just think about all the divisions of Christianity that exist out there, and it all boils down to our isms. And we look at it like, sure. no, you're wrong, I'm right. Like, there's this, there can't be, we can't both be right. There's only one true interpretation of this scripture, and it has to be this. this. Yep. And then we, then we plant our flag on that, and anyone who comes and opposes it is then you know, in opposition. And this is just, an, you know, a new thing. Western culture has been doing this. Sure. I mean, think of all the, what happened in the Reformation and, and moving forward and all the splits with the Church of England. And, oh, yeah. And I mean, all of this has all been about, you're right, I'm wrong. Um, denominations, our modern day denominations are all about that. Mm-hmm. So if... Um, the, so one of the things that, that was touched on in the study was that um, Easterners don't necessarily think in the same type of um, binary thinking. Right. Like it's not necessarily, oh, what's the answer? Um, like on, in our case, let, let's think back to some of the very popular arguments that come up, you know, uh, predestination versus free will. Mm. And there's countless debates about mm. this, right? And That's it's like, right. no, predestination, no, free will. And uh, but an Easterner might look at it and go, uh, destination or, or or free will. And an Easterner would say both, yes. And 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 view it like like it's multi layered. That there's there's aspects of it we can't wrap our minds around, so we don't need to camp out in one of right. those. Uh, and it's the same way with the views of the Revelation. There's all sure. these different views of the Revelation. Um, and if you are a futurist, you're going to hold to every passage in there is referring to the future. If you're a preterist, every passage is going to refer to the past yes, yep. without there being any thought to where well, maybe both are in play. Maybe there is some layers of meaning here. Right. And so uh, do you ever, you saw Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, what's the main character's name? I forgot. Uh, t- um, uh, uh, oh, all these listeners are going to be... Tavi. Uh, <laughs> Tavian. I can't... Whatever his name is. Oh, it's driving me crazy. So anyway, there's one point in the in the play where... I'm Googling He's this. like, on one hand, this, and on another hand, this, and on another hand, mm-hmm. this, and on another hand, this, and I've run out of hands. Yep. <laughs> And so, um, so the, so that's, which is cool because he's, um, a a Jew, right? Yep. And so that is very indicative of their mindset. Like, yes, that is true. It is Tavi. 
Tavi. So, okay, so there's, you know, this thinking that let's reason. Right. That on one hand, you are correct. Uh, this is this is the truth. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, this is correct yep. in, from a different perspective and with this different reasoning in, in play. And so um, with that in mind, when we read the scripture, okay, so one of the examples the guy gave in, in the study was um, if you asked a, a Westerner, uh, did you seek God or did God seek you? Well, there's this, you might get a, a plethora of debate about that, right? right? Well, it, did I find God or did God find me? But the Jew would say, yes, there's both involved. There is right. a, it's a culmination. On one hand, there's this, but on the other hand, there's that. And so, uh, anyway, it was just about how we don't necessarily, we think in different ways. Like, we want to put things in a little box. Well, and not only that, but <clears throat> a lot of times we put things at odds with each other that aren't really at odds mm. with each other. Right. So, like, that that question of, did you find God or did God find you? If you take a step back and you look at it, that, that, that question, those two things are not at odds with each other. Correct. It can be both. Mm-hmm. It's a both and. Yeah. You know, and so um, even, honestly, free will and predestination, as much as people like to say, no, it has to be one or the other, it's, it's bunk because the Bible gives, you know, says both, <laughs> right? Yeah. So anyways, but yeah, that's that's interesting to me, that why, why we Westerners have to have one way or the other. And put things at odds that aren't really at odds, right? And so, one of the things that uh, that the, the Jewish culture would do is they would have discussions about these type of things. Sure. And those discussions would be led by a series of questions. So, like if if you posed a question to me in Western thought, we are expected to give an answer right. to the question. Mm-hmm. Like we're judged as children, even on exams and all this stuff, you have to have the right answer. Mm -hmm. Whereas Easterners don't think in quite that same way in that the best answer to a good question is a better question. Mm. So if someone says, you know, um, did God choose you? Then your response could be, or did I choose God? Mm. You know, or whatever. And so it would further the thought until uh, the conversation is more enlightened yeah. because everyone is thinking and everyone is, is, they're not trying, they don't already have their belief and they're trying to convince somebody else. It is more of a growth of knowledge that's happening right. organically. Um, so anyway, th- those things that I really wish that our culture did more of that. Hmm. Like if, and it's really hard for us to even concentrate that way. I've even tried it. Like, when you're in a debate or discussion with somebody to try and pose questions yeah. instead of giving answers. And it's, it's hard to do, but sure. if you look at Jesus, what did he do? Ask questions. He was constantly, you know, it'd be like uh, teacher. Is it, is it right to pay taxes? And his question is whose face is on the coin? On the coin yeah. Like it wasn't even like he's leaving the answer still up to you. Right. But making you think, 
Right. And so, and he does that all all the time. Mm. Um, you know, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's like, wow, there's this all this going on, and uh, he's just trying to further and make us think, and uh, that's one of the things that that we've kind of lost in our mm. in our Western culture. Sure. So another thing that we talked about was um, the way we think in absolutes and um, descriptive terms, how descriptive terms are very important to us. Mm. So, like, if I was to say to you, um, what is God? Give me a short answer, what is God? How would we as Westerners normally answer to that question? (laughs) God is the creator of all things, the creator and sustainer of all things. He's presents himself to humans in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, who are uh, unique but um, similar or the same. And so, and even though that's a a complex answer, Mm -hmm. it's still a textbook type of answer, right? Yeah, it's a a catechism, right? Yeah, yeah. Or or it's a Wikipedia answer or it's a... Our Western church, uh, whether or not you're, you're high church or low church, you have catechism answers for everything, mm-hmm. starting with what is God. Yeah, the Baptist faith and message is straight up catechism. Mm-hmm. You go, the Catholics invented this whole system, and yeah. it's, Western, it's westernized, it starts with Rome, right? Right, which is this idea of questions and answers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Here's the question. This is the correct way to respond to this. And what's even more interesting is you can respond in an incorrect way and get labeled a heretic. So <laughs> That's correct. Like, you know, somebody could... What is God? Yeah, you could say... Not man. Well, God is... <laughs> God is... God has three different roles. Father, he has a role as a son, and he has a role as the Holy Spirit. Well, that's partialism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're a heretic because you believe in partialism. <laughs> so, you know, it's very, you have to be careful and yeah. answer it the exact, you know. And, and we even do things like, um, okay, the safer type of thing. What is God? Uh, God is love. God is, <laughs> God is mercy. God is grace. Mm. God is forgiving. Mm. God is okay, so. Anyway, what I'm getting at is these are all Western answers. Yeah. Because we're giving to the question, we're giving nouns and adjectives. Right. We're describing God. Yeah. Right. Whereas the point of the study was, if you were to go into a rabbinical school and ask even the youngest kids in the school, "What is God?" You're going to get answers like this: He is my rock. He is the river. He is my daily bread. He is the way. Like you're going to get metaphor. You're going to get picture words. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at what Jesus' own teachings, what did he say he was? He didn't go through and he says, I am the supreme creator and I am part father, part son. Like he didn't go into the description, like like the actual definitions he constantly he has all these I am statements of the book in the book of John, right? I am the I am the door. I am the uh, good shepherd. Mm-hmm. I am the way. I'm the way. I am the truth. Right. You know. Uh, um, I am. Um, I am the bread. 
of life. I am the vine. You are the branches. Like he used those metaphor type of that metaphor type of language. Right. So anyway, the whole point is being is you understand what Jesus is saying better whenever you think like like a, uh, like a Jew would. Right. That they think in picture words. Sure. So um, one of the, the guys was talking about <clears throat> how part of the reason why we misunderstand the New Testament is because we don't, or is because we don't understand the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk to Christians all the time that will say things like, "I don't, I don't even bother with the Old Testament because it's not valid anymore and it doesn't apply to my life," and mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. You're robbing yourself of the richness of and fuller understanding mm-hmm. of the New Testament. So um, if we look into the Old Testament and we start to see things, um, there's all this stuff that comes into play. So like, for example, uh, we've talked about this before on the show, I think, Genesis 15, you have the Abrahamic uh, covenant of sacrifice mm. that happens, right. where uh, God tells uh, Abraham gather up all these animals and prepare the sacrifice. And he splits these animals in half and makes a, a pathway full of blood. And it's like, what in the world? Like, right. what are you doing? Right. And But he knew what he was doing. And then God puts him asleep and then passes through this, this path of, of dead animals. Yeah, the- Carcasses. Yeah, making a promise, and the basis of the of the promise was um, there. There was symbolism in it, and a symbolism that kind of goes beyond what right. we as Westerners, because we don't understand the culture, we don't understand what was going on. We don't get it, yeah. But uh, when we when we realize, oh, in their culture, this type of covenant was made. Regularly, right. especially by servants and masters. Right. So th- they would um, they would divide these animals, and then they would both pass through the bloody carcasses, making the conditions of the covenant. Right. Yeah. And the point being, if either one of us doesn't hold to our part of the covenant. May we be like these animals we're right. walking through. Maybe we be cut asunder. Right. And so the the value and the the cool thing about it is God puts Abraham asleep and does it himself, which implies God is is playing both roles of man and God in this covenant. Right. And and if I, if me as man transgress and break this covenant, may I be cut asunder and destroyed as yeah. these animals are. What happened? He was cut asunder and destroyed. Right. So the, all this fullness of Christ comes into this picture sure. that we as Westerners may miss out on if we don't understand the point of that covenant. Right. And then you got also symbols like when God did this, he didn't come down in some ghostly form. He came down in the form of... A uh, a torch mm-hmm. and a smoking pot, and so it's like the symbol of sacrifice, fire and smoke, and and these are all things that the Jew would understand. Right, he would get it. Yeah, because they are they know what 
all is going on. And so you have all this stuff that brings to the fullness of our understanding of what Jesus taught and what happened on the cross. Sure. It all makes more sense to us sure. when we see it through yeah, that Jewish uh, lens. That's awesome. So uh, do you have uh, your Bible on you? Uh, yeah. Let's look at um, um, a passage that I thought was really cool. Um, a simple. It's funny how a simple passage can have loads of background in it. Uh, so John 1, verse 45. So here we have, this is um, the very first of the book of John, and, and um, he's talking about how uh, God became flesh, or yeah, word man. became flesh and dwelt with us, and then there's the it goes right into the gathering of the um, apostles. Right. So um, this is, I believe, forty five. Yeah, I believe this is Andrew. Maybe no, this is a uh, who Philip. Philip. Okay. Yeah. So uh, read verse forty five and let's see what this is. What Philip says. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." Okay, so um, lineage is important to the Jew. And why tell us that he was the son of Joseph? On one hand, it's... Son of Moses? No, no, the son of... Yeah, the son of Son of Joseph. Joseph. So on one hand, it's a simple statement. Right. He's the son of the... Carpenter Carpenter Joseph. Joseph in Nazareth. Right. Not that anybody would actually know who Joseph in Nazareth was. Right, because they're in Galilee. Right. And so it was common to call somebody the son of whatever your dad's name was. Sure. Well, because we didn't really have last names. That was how we identified. Jesus so, Bar Joseph. Yeah. So, um, or Yeshua Bar Joseph. But the cool thing is, there is a Jewish picture word in play as well, because these people named each other after patriarchs, mm-hmm. And uh, and all that sort of thing. So Joseph has larger implications than just a simple carpenter in Nazareth. Joseph was the son, one of the sons of Jacob, Jacob in the Old Testament, right? And if you think back to the story of Joseph, um, there's all this stuff that comes to mind when the word, when the name Joseph is given. Okay, he's the one who was the chosen child. Right. So Jesus is the one and only son in uh, of God, right? The right. only begotten son mm-hmm. of God. And so um, when you had a favored son like Joseph was to Jacob, it has that implication. All his brothers were jealous of him, right? And what did they do? They betrayed him. Right. And basically... Uh, left him to die. They put him in the pit mm-hmm. and then sold him into slavery. Hmm. So let's look at Jesus. What happens in G- to Jesus? Jesus is betrayed right. by his own family. He's thrown into the pit, which happens in um, uh, the, the house of Caiaphas when he was uh, imprisoned sure. there. There is a pit literally under the house of Caiaphas where they would put prisoners. Mm-hmm. And then... He was given over to death, sold into slavery. Right. And uh, and so then you think about the story of Joseph. He goes to Egypt. Uh, all this 
this dramatic stuff happens with him and, and um, Potiphar. He ends up in jail right, with two prisoners. Yeah, the baker and the cupbearer. Right, one of which perishes, and the other, set the other which is set free. Mm-hmm. Jesus goes to a cross with two perpetrators, one of which goes to his demise, mm-hmm. the other which is given salvation. Right. right? So then you have Joseph resurrected from the prison and given new life and given the kingdom. Given the kingdom. Sure. And saving the people, right. saving the nation because of his wisdom right. and his leadership. So Jesus conquers the grave. He's resurrected from the dead. It brings life sure. and redemption. So anyway, what I'm getting at is by Philip simply saying he's the son of Joseph has not only a lineage type of message, but it also is prophetic. Sure. And uh, so these are type of things that we would totally miss out on. Okay, so here's another cool thing. We just mentioned that Joseph was a a carpenter. Yeah. And... um, but in our minds, Westerners, what do we think about when we think of that? Somebody that builds tables? I don't know. Yeah, we, we, we think of, okay, he must have made furniture. Right. Or, you know, I don't know, houses. Yeah. But what's interesting is if you look at the original language, the word that is interpreted carpen- carpenter simply means builder. It doesn't necessarily mean a woodworker. Really? Yeah, it means like a builder. And if you look at all the structures that happened in Jerusalem and uh, Israel at that time, they were stone. They, they weren't, oh, right. they weren't uh, like frame houses the way we do it now. Right, right, right. Everything was didn't work with made out of stone. There probably was some wood. You had mm-hmm. doors and you had furniture. But at the same time, most of the construction would have been made out of stone. So it's kind of funny because we think of Jesus as a carpenter. And we think of him as a woodworker. Right. But in reality, that's probably something we've implied onto it because of that one word, when in reality, he's probably a stonemason of some sort, that he was actually building homes. Now look at Jesus' language. I am the rock. I am the cornerstone. You are living stones built upon the foundation of Christ. Like all, there's all these stone references in all of Jesus's teachings sure. and all of, of, of what we talk about whenever we're talking about um, uh, building the church. Like we, it's all built around the stone language. Sure. So it makes perfect sense if Jesus really was a physical stone, stone mason. mason. So anyway, I just think that's. Pretty powerful. There's Pretty there's there's all these layers of stuff that we probably miss out. Sure. Because we're just thinking, oh, carpenter. Okay, sure. I know what that is because I've seen houses right. going up in my neighborhood, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But anyway, there's just all these these layers yeah. of, of awesome. stuff like that. Gives masons a whole other leg to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> the Freemasons. Yes. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just messing around. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's talk about Jesus' childhood for a minute. Okay. So um, he was a child. He was a child. We don't have a whole lot in this. Born scripture. in Bethlehem, and then he went off to Egypt, and then he's in Nazareth. That's where he grew up. Mm-hmm. There's a crazy story about him bringing bird back to life. 
<laughs> I don't know about that one. That was the, uh, there's another story about him killing a kid <laughs> for breaking his toy or something. Yeah, that's from the uh, the Gospel of Mary. Yeah, which we'll probably not promote. No, um, I, I probably think that's not <laughs> that's not an accurate uh, book. But anyway, that's a Gnostic writing. Yes, but aside from that. Um, there's this event that happens when he's 12 years old. That's right. The only real event of his childhood that we have in actual scripture mm-hmm. where his family goes for Passover to Jerusalem. Right. Right. And so he, uh, his parents head back home and halfway home they realize, or most of the way home, they realize, oh, we forgot Jesus. <laughs> Which makes Mary and Joseph just look like horrible, horrible parents. Who would forget? We Jesus? lost the Son of God. Exactly. What's wrong with us? Nuts. <laughs> you know. Uh, side note. So, like, I uh, my dad had a pastor friend who left his son at a mortuary accidentally. Really? For like an hour. Can you imagine the trauma? Oh, man. That'd be nuts. Left amongst the dead bodies. Yeah, he just left him there. Uh, I got left at the church one time, just like Jesus. Um, <laughs> and they called, the nursery worker called my mom and dad and like, are you going to come pick up your son? This is like way after they'd already left. And they were yeah. like, ah, oh. so they went back. So it does happen. But, I mean, they had to walk all the way from... Nazareth to, mm-hmm. to to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah, and they're walking all the way back, and then all of a sudden they get almost get home, and they're like, "Oh, we forgot Jesus!" So makes Joseph and Mary look terrible. Yeah, lost him for like three days. Like right. they looked for him for three, for three days. days. They can't find him for three days, and so finally <coughs> they find him in the temple, and he's confounding the uh, the teachers of the mm-hmm. law, and uh, and he. You know, his mother's like, why have you, you know, why'd you leave us? And he says, didn't you know I'd be about, you know, my father's business? Yeah. And so this is a weird story. So so from our Western point of view, that's a messed up story, you know, in many ways. Because like you said, oh, yeah. it casts Joseph and Mary in a horribly bad light. Right. Uh, not only did they lose their child, but the child they knew was prophesied to be the Messiah. Yeah. Right, they yeah. they they were in good knowledge of this based on what happened at the temple when he was a baby, and right. and what the angels told them. So, I mean, they how irresponsible is that? You know, the whole sure. world hinges on this. But from the Jewish perspective, it was completely understandable. And here is is sort of why. For one, everyone made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem at Passover. Right. It wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't just hey, let's get in the car and you jump in your in your station wagon, and throw little Jesus in the back, and take off. A couple hour drive and you're there. Yeah, it's not like you know National Lampoon's Vacation no. or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's just us. Um, in reality, what happened was the entire town straight up caravan. Yes. Like, Camels, donkeys. Imagine one of those old school pictures of a. Like a a caravan mm-hmm. wandering through the desert. That's what that was, right? And so they would all and they weren't as segregated as we are. No, like they lived together Every, a lot yeah. more so than we do. Like your neighbor was 
part of your family in many cases. Right. And so uh, you would have the women walking together. You would have the men walking together. You would have the children walking together. Like, they're not, it's not as segregated as we would see it. Sure. And so they make their, their, their pilgrimage to the Holy City. They do the festival. And then they come back. And they're probably thinking, A, he's with the rest of the, of the children. Right. Um, there is another thing that comes into play here. Jesus was 12. Now, to us, that's still a little kid, yeah. right? But in their minds, he's not so much a little kid anymore because the next year he's going to be named a man. He's going to be right. given um, the, the honor of becoming a man through bar mitzvah. So right. um, they see him as a much more mature individual than we would have Sure. anyway. Sure. So uh, all that being said, they find him in the temple, and the, the, the thing that comes to mind is, oh, Jesus is an inquisitive little boy because he's asking questions. Right. However, that's also our Western way of, of looking at it. We mentioned earlier that questions are a wise way to answer questions. Right. And it says that the teachers there were, <coughs> were confounded at impressed with the questions Jesus was asking. Right. And so um, he is not, he's in, in essence teaching them. Exactly. And, and not the other way around. And whenever Mary says, Hey, where you been? You scared it. You scared us, you know, made us sick, you know, as mothers sure would do. His response was that. Why? Like he asked her, he answered with a question. Right. Why are you concerned? Right. So once again, his his question about being about his father's business was a wise answer to her question. Sure. And she picked up on that. And, and then it says, I love this next part. It says, she cherished this in her heart after that moment. Mm -hmm. So in other words... That was a pride. It was a special thing for Yes. Her. My son is confounding the wiser, wiser than I. That's right. Wiser than these men in this room. He and you know, the, the fact that we were worried about him was foolishness given mm -hmm. the knowledge that he is the son of God, born of the Holy Spirit. Right. And therefore I shouldn't have been concerned. Exactly. He's not going to perish, not not with what's going on. So anyway, there's just all this that happens from a Jewish perspective that we probably didn't pick up on. That's right. Um, but anyway, the Bible is absolutely full of this stuff. Um, one quick one I wanted to look at is sure. um, John 3. We quote John 3.16, right? Sure. Like all over the map. And uh, this is this happens in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. We know who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is on the um, Sanhedrin. Right. So he is a rabbi. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so this whole conversation of born again comes up. And on the surface, it looks like Nicodemus is simply confounded with Jesus' wording about being born again because he says, how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born of again when he, when he is old. Right. So um, it's almost like, okay, anyone would ask that question. Um, however, there's more to it 
than our Western minds think because we would think, okay, he's just talking the physical. He's just trying to figure out, you know, how is this physically possible? Right. But there was more in his question because to a Jew, the concept of being born again was not a new thing. There were many times, uh, six in, in particular instances, where a Jew could see himself as being born again, all of which tend to happen um, in, in a certain place in your life. So uh, one of the biggest ways you're born again is if you are actually named king. That is a way to you, you end your old life, you begin a new life. So like when Saul was ordained king, he was in essence born again. again. Um, and this is the way they thought about it. If you were proselytized from, like if you were a Gentile and you became a Jew, you were circumcised and you were baptized. And that was considered rebirth right. in, their, in their culture. Cool. They understood that. Uh, the bar mitzvah that we mentioned, whenever you go from age 12 to age 13 and you go through the ceremony, they consider that a rebirthing process. Right. And uh, so when you got married... When you got married, it was a rebirth because it was a new phase of life and a, new, sure. and a change of, of things. If you were ever ordained a rabbi, that was considered a rebirth. So, um, if and the top of it here would be if you were ever named a leader in the rabbinical schools, you were then considered to be born again in their mind. Wow. So now think about who's asking the question Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he wasn't crowned king. He wasn't proselytized because he was born a Jew, but he had gone through the bar mitzvah. He had been born again there. He had to be married because he was on the Sanhedrin. Right. And you can't be on the Sanhedrin as a single person. Right. So we we knew he would have been born again through uh, marriage, marriage, and he had been ordained a rabbi. a rabbi, yep. So he had been born again at that moment, and then he said he was a teacher in... The rabbinical schools, mm-hmm. which meant he was a leader in the rabbinical schools, which meant he would have received that born again. So his question is, now that I'm old, now that I've gone through all this, I've gone through my physical birth, I've gone through all these other births, how can I ever be born again? Right. I've reached the pinnacle of my existence. Sure. And so the question carries a lot more weight because it's not just about uh, how do I become a child again or how do I become... Uh, physically born again, as much as it is, I've even gone through spiritual baptisms or spiritual rebirthings. Mm-hmm. How can I ever gain anything more? Yeah. So, and wow. of course, when Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit, then all of a sudden it opens up this brand Whole new, new thing. thing to uh, a, 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 into eternal life, and He sure. brings up eternal life, and all of a sudden it's like, wow! So. And that's something for our next study. Yeah. <laughs> I was blown away by that, though. Wow. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, because there's tons in this study, and we might be able to do some more of it later. Sure. But uh, the last one I wanted to mention, just because I think it's really cool, is Jewish marriages. Yeah, this one. So <laughs> I had I had an awesome teacher uh, growing up who was Jewish, um, and he was actually my biology teacher, um, but he was a Jewish Christian. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, the cool thing, I went to a Christian private school in high school. And so, uh, I got to sit under this guy and listen to him talk about some certain things yeah, and the history behind them. And one of the biggest ones he talked about was what you're about to talk about now, marriage. And it blew me away seeing the image of the bride of Christ 
mm. and Christ and this whole image of marriage, it changed it changed the whole aspect of it for me. Because we in, in typical Western society, we have a whole different view of marriage. Yes. We and and life as married people uh, versus how they viewed marriage in the society. So like even, well, well, I'll just let you get to it, but uh, it's it's just cool. Go ahead. Well, um, let's start with John 14 and let's look at um, like the first 16 verses. Mm -hmm. So what's happened, our first six verses. So what's happening here is Jesus is spending his last night on earth with um, with his disciples, and he um, he's finished the quote unquote Last Supper, and he gives them this charge and this little speech uh, before he prays with them um, about basically how he's leaving them, right, and what to look forward to. He speaks about the the Holy Spirit and all this sort of thing. Or all of this sort of stuff, and he knows they're going to be scared. So uh, read what what he has to say in John fourteen one through six. It says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself." That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, how do we know the way? Sorry. Yeah. Um, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So um, Jesus is giving them the words of comfort. And then he mentions this thing about his father's house right. having many rooms, right. and I go to prepare a place for you. Right. And Thomas is this is lost on Thomas, but what Jesus is doing mm-hmm. is he's speaking to them in terms of wedding preparation. Right. And that's why he says, "You know where I'm going," because he's making reference to something they know. Right. He's making reference to their marriage cultures. Yeah. So in our culture, you know, you you propose to the girl, you have this short little engagement period, mm-hmm. then you go to the altar, you say your vows, you walk away from there, you go on your honeymoon, and then you go figure out life together. Right. And sometimes you have a house prepared, sometimes you don't, sometimes you uh, get an apartment or stay in a camper in some cases. So whatever happens, happens, and you just kind of figure it out. And Jewish culture is totally different. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a Jewish boy, and and actually a lot of these marriages are arranged all the way through. Yes. So, like, your, your family is good with another family. And from from birth, really, you're mm-hmm. marked to be that person's husband or wife. Yeah. But you grow up knowing that kind of. But the cool thing is, if you are a Jewish boy and you see a girl that you're just infatuated with, let's use Joseph and Mary real quick. Mm-hmm. So Joseph's walking around, he sees Mary, and he's like, that's the girl for me. You don't go to the girl. Mm. You go to the girl's dad. Right. 
that's the first thing you do. You go to the girl's dad, and actually your dad and you go to the girl's dad, and you say, I want to marry your daughter, and you would have to come up with a dowry. Mm-hmm. So the idea is... It's a transaction. It's a transaction. <laughs> it's property. Right. It's bought with a price. Right, right. Which is a great picture mm, yeah. of Christ, mm-hmm. right? He bought us with his very blood. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually it's a couple sheep, some goats, or, or whatever. Yeah. But you would buy that that person. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in Isaac and Rebecca. Exactly. We see that how, how Isaac got his wife. Exactly. And so uh, then, usually, typically, the girl would have some say in it. Not not much, but she, mm-hmm. would, she, would, be, she would be able to say to her father, I really don't think this is it. And her father would take that into consideration, but it was up to him mm-hmm. to decide. That's just very Calvinistic, by the way. Um, <laughs> when you think about that. But anyways, so then you would go to the girl and you would say, you would you would get engaged and you would say, I'm going to prepare for you now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you would become engaged and everybody would know in the village so, sorry, I'm overstepping. But no, go no, go, keep going. All right, so you become engaged, right? And mm-hmm. then, so immediately, if you're the son, you have a job to do. And your job is to build a house. But it's not just to build a house. It's to add on to your family's uh, house. Right, because this was patriarch, yes, it was, patriarch living. It was patriarch living. And so so everybody, I mean, this this property was your family's property for generation after generation. Mm-hmm. And you're not moving anywhere. Right. You're staying there. You're going to work that land. These were mostly itinerant farmers, right? Right. For the most part. Um, or that, you know, they had their, their niches, but whatever they did, they, they had their plot of land that's been in their land for generations. And so you would go back to your land and you would add on an addition to the house that you're, great-great-grandfather mm-hmm. built, you know, yeah. Hezekiah way back in the day. And so you would build and build and steadily create it. And while you're doing that, your um, bride-to-be was waiting patiently for you to come and get her. Right. Then the day would come where you would look to your father and say, is this good enough? Is this? <laughs> and he would say, yes, this is good. And you would... Go and you would get your bride, and that was the marriage ceremony. Yeah. Sometimes in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but it would be done, and you would go, and you would have this huge following, and have this gigantic celebration, and grab your wife, and you would take her, and and uh, and then you would do the the ceremony and uh, consummate mm-hmm. there, <laughs> and so in the new house. Yeah, and so this that whole. Yeah, so what Jesus is saying here is I'm going to my father's house right. where there are many rooms, yeah. and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right. So he's saying, as a bridegroom, mm-hmm. I am going to construct a place for my bride. Right. And he's referring to his followers then as his bride. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says, you know that I'm coming back. You know that I'm going to come, and it's going to be this sweeping you off your feet, carrying you away, like it's the it's a marriage. And he right. does this all throughout his teaching, by the way. Yeah. Like he uses this marriage, this symbolism, that if we don't understand it as uh, Westerners, if we don't understand that, that Eastern 
methodology of marriage, we miss a lot of what right. Jesus is saying in his parables and stuff. He's in the parable of the wedding feast, which is in Matthew 22, where it talks about how I'm inviting all these people in, but the ones I really wanted to come didn't come, so go out into the streets and invite everybody. Right. And so this is all picturesque of of bringing in the Gentiles, Gentiles. Mm-hmm. and uh, putting on the wedding clothes, having on the right wedding, the, all of that. Oh, the wedding clothes, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, so the, so there were specific robes handed out usually at the at the, the home uh-huh. that you would wear when you came in the door right. for the celebration. You, you didn't bring your own clothes. You put on the clothes that were provided exactly. for you. And, um, you know, the guy that gets kicked out, it wasn't, oh, you just didn't dress for the party. No, you refused to put it on when you came in the door. And anyway, he gets kicked out. And so anyway, there's just, there's all this, all these parables around there. He talks about the 10 virgins and the oil. And, you know, growing up, I always thought about that. Oh, trim your lamp, blah, blah, blah. Make sure you're doing enough is kind of how I looked at it, (laughs) which is not the teaching of it. The teaching of it is... Being ready and waiting, like never giving up hope that your groom is coming. Right, he's coming back and he's coming to get you. So keep that lamp burning, right. so that you are ready for him. And that being ready doesn't necessarily mean getting all your ducks in a row and being a good Christian and obeying all the rules. What it means is being being and watchful hope. and hopeful. Yes. So let's look back to uh, what happens whenever we're even when we're engaged. There's this, even if it's an engagement's a small time for us, there's that little gap where we're anticipatory. It's like it, the day is coming, the day is coming, and the bride is going, like it's from a bride's perspective especially, look at it. Mm-hmm. The bride is going nuts, picking venues out. Oh, yeah. All this, okay, so for example, um, our friends Jack and Krista, they're getting married yeah. next June. That's right. Okay, so they, they, they're going to have a year of preparation for this. And if you follow Krista on Instagram, I hope you're listening, Krista. If you follow Krista on Instagram, (laughs) what are you seeing? All the time, it's wedding stuff. (laughs) Yes. Here's my ring. I can't wait to show you again. I love my ring so much. Uh, Here's my my fiancé. He's Uh the best thing ever. Like, she's all about this event that's going to happen. Right. Right? And she's all about him. And so as Christians, we are in that betrothal period right now. Right. Why are we not like this? Like, why are we not? He, look at him. Excited. Look at him. He's my husband. And check out how awesome he is. Ugh. Like, <laughs> like that should be our mindset all the time. Right. I can't wait. I'm preparing for the day. I'm trimming my lamp. I have my oil. It's ready to go. So Jesus is using these parables to talk about how we should be excited for let not your heart be troubled. Isn't that how he started Amen. this passage? Don't let your heart be troubled. I am coming back. Like that's the whole the, whole, the whole thing. Message, yep. So anyway, there's tons and tons and tons we could talk about sure. on that. But um, but that's one of my favorite ones um, because it's so blatant and it's all over the place and Jesus yeah. uses it so much. I mean, there's so much more that we can... I, even in the wedding, like there's a whole the wine, the 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 men, the tradition of the men would actually cross arms and drink wine mm. with each other as a mm-hmm. symbol of a, a covenant, right? Which is a symbol of Christ's blood, right? And they would eat bread, they would break bread together as a mm-hmm. symbol of the covenant, right? Jesus' first miracle 
is it is it happenstance that it happened at not. a wedding? That's right. <laughs> exactly. And it's the best wine that he gives out. Right? Yes. Which is his blood. I mean, the whole picture is. Mm-hmm. It's just, anyways. Um, you have all these different Jewish or cultural things like uh, slavery versus adoption mm-hmm. is another one. Oh yeah, Un- spend time understanding time. first century slavery a, is yeah. is a huge. Uh, thing right. to help understand because from Western culture we look at it and go oh God uh, was okay with slavery like what kind of God are you following well right. you're not looking at slavery in the same light that it was right. given in the first century under their culture exactly so we're missing out on the teachings sure. that are around it anyway yeah there's tons and tons of this yeah. stuff um, but we're about halfway through our little life group study of it and I've just been really um, um, like impressed with where the guy's going. On What's it. the name of the resource again? So that it is or... the Forgotten Jesus um, by Robbie Gallaty. Um And anyway, he's got like a, a video series on it. It's just sure. a short little ten minute, ten minute per uh, whatever. But anyway, cool. so you got news for us, man? Well, if you want to do news, what time is it? How, how long are we? Oh, I don't know how long we'll be on. Killed. So I want to hold our people up. So it's been a little over an hour. All right. Well, let's do some news. Let me pull up. And now the news. So I don't know if this is news really, but American society is getting more angry. Really? Yeah. NPR and IBM uh, Watson Health recently conducted a poll in which asked Americans if they think their federal citizens are angrier than they were a generation ago. Eighty-four percent said that yes, they think that's true. Then they then they asked the recipients if they themselves were more angry in the last few months than they were the prior to that. Forty-two percent said yes. Are you getting angry? <laughs> uh, I'm mad, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. Wow. A thirty percent poll taker said they are often angry when reading the news, and forty-two percent said the news sometimes made them angry. Um, so. Along, it says, along with the news cycle, another factor of prevalence is social media. Mm. The, the findings in, seem to indicate that social media is empowering a rise in anger. An overwhelming number sense. of people who took the poll, 90%, say they are more likely to express their anger on social media than in person. I can see that. It's easy. There's, a, there's some level of anonymity. Right. It's when easy. you're not screaming at somebody right in the face, you can do it online. Right. It's craziness. So, in Alaska, the the Alaska General Assembly, um, the they usually do a prayer before they they meet in the convention, their state convention or whatever. Yeah, uh, a member of the Satanic Temple offered the prayer this last time. <laughs> Protests and walkouts notwithstanding. Thank you, Lucifer. Alaska's Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly met meeting got an invocation from Iris Fontana, a member of the that's a perfect name for I know. a member of the Satanic Temple. <laughs> that this is what she said in her prayer. That which will not bend must break, and that which can be destroyed by truth shall never be spared as demise. She said in a closing. It's done. Hail Satan. That's it's done. Yeah. Fontana was a plaintiff in a lawsuit challenging the borough's rules 
which uh, about which organizations are and aren't allowed to offer invocations before local government meetings. So in other words, she threatened to sue so that they would let her re uh, do the prayer. Weird at this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Um, so how much how much you tithe in there, David? Oh wow, that's, that's kind of a personal question. <laughs> well, let me just say, religious thirty five percent. What about you? <laughs> I'm doing 90. <laughs> Solid 90. 90. That's what I'm doing. A religious 91. <laughs> religious donations are declining by $2 billion. They declined by $2 billion last mm. year. The Giving uh, USA Foundation has released its latest numbers tracking charitable giving, and religious donations have taken a turn downward. Even though overall giving rose slightly, between 2017 and 18, donations to houses of worship, denominational institutions, and religious broadcasters uh, that make up the religion category fell by 1.5%. That may not sound like a lot, but it's $2 billion less in gifts. Reachers say a variety of factors could play uh, be at play, including recent changes to tax law, falling church attendance, and high-profile scandals. Mm. So sad, um, and I think it's it's very telling when in America, this is the American church I'm talking about mm-hmm. right now. It's very telling that in the American church, um, we we're receiving less money because of all these scandals, and because we're not appropriating funds correctly, mm-hmm. while. All these nonprofits that are non-religious are receiving greater mm, money, right, right? Right. That tells you that maybe we're doing something wrong with what we're given, which is really sad because who's supposed to be, uh, you know, who's supposed to be taking care of the widows and orphans? Right. Right. It's us. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's jacked up. So it really is that that bothered me a lot. Um, oh yeah, this one's funny. Christian group gathers thousands of signatures for Netflix to cancel Good Omens. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny too. Which is on, by the way, which is on Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> the group returned to order is not a fan of the series of Good Omens. A lighthearted show based on popular uh, series of novels that feature supernatural beings attempting to thwart the end times. Uh, so the group Return to Order, this is a Christian group yeah. that's fighting for this. It's, uh, it describes it. it, says the Netflix series Good Omens, based on a book by Terry Pritchett and Neil Gelman, portrays the agents of good and evil as fighters in an arbitrary struggle devoid of meaning and truth. The series presents devils and Satanists as normal and even good, where they uh, merely have a different way of being and mocks God's wisdom in the following ways. An angel and demon are good friends that are meant uh, to be Earth's ambassadors for good and evil, respectively. The pair tries to stop the coming of the Antichrist because they are comfortable and like the Earth so much. God is voiced by a woman... The Antichrist, who will oppose the kingdom of God, is portrayed as a normal kid that has special powers and a mission to destroy the world, which he doesn't really want to do. More than 20,000 people have signed it. The funny thing is, they sent it to Netflix, and Netflix is like, uh, you can forward this to Amazon, because it's not (laughs) our show. 
Wow. Come on, guys. If you're going to fight something, know what you're fighting. And I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like, how many things are you going to, like... If there's if there's one thing I could protest on Netflix right now, it's the fact that they're canceling The Office. <laughs> or they're killing The Office. Yeah, taking, taking it off. off. Yeah. Well, if you're... Well, the thing is to me, there are better fish to fry. Like, how many of these shows are you going to... Good Omens is just one of many shows like that. I mean, you got Lucifer, you got um, Supernatural. Uh, Super, how long has Supernatural been on? Right. I mean, come on. This, put your efforts in Christianity Seriously. toward doing good and helping people. You're not going to... Fix the world by getting good omens off of Netflix. I right. mean, off of uh, Amazon. <laughs> now they got me doing it. Right. So that's all the news I got. Okay. Well, let's see. I've got another stinger here. I can never find. Or I thought I did. Um. Maybe not. It's been so long. Okay. Well, what I was gonna do is voicemail. Yay. <laughs> So we have some voicemail. I'm going to try and play it. It's on my phone here. Let's see. Maybe. Hey, Theo Knotts. It's Meredith. How are y'all doing? Um, I hope that y'all will be doing some more episodes soon. I know that uh, Jeremiah is busy at camp this week. But um hope that y'all can get back in the saddle again soon. I had an idea for a couple of episodes for y'all. I know y'all had done the, uh, a few, like, Heroes of the Faith recently, and um, I was thinking about a couple of missionaries that I would like to learn more about, and one of them was William Carey. I believe he's called the father of modern missions, and then Adoniram Judson. I just recently have heard his name a couple different times, and He's supposed to be like the father of American missions. So anyway, I'm just wondering if y'all might be interested in doing something on them. Um, and I hope to hear more from y'all again soon. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Thanks, Mayor. So we just did one for you. You can yeah, listen there to you that go. one. Although I think she's in your Bible study class, so Yeah, she's probably already heard this stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> But, um, so I don't know much about William Carey or uh, Adonai Judson. Do you? No, I don't. Modern missions. I mean, my favorite missionary was Paul. <clears throat> he's, in the, <laughs> he's in the New Testament. Maybe you can read him. Acts is really good detail of his. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she is going to, like, slap you through the. <laughs> Dude, I'll, we will totally look into those guys. When I say we, David will, and then I'll get all the credit, and uh, and we'll do a report on him. How about that? Sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that we're back in the saddle. Yes, I'm. I'm excited, and I know we've just got to you know get a couple things organized, and and we'll do it through Skype or whatever. But my goal is to get it done once a week. We need to find a time. That would be great. We'll talk about it. So, anyways, all right, let's do this thing. The Theonauts. 
are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. We use new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast. Visit our website at theodotspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and you want more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here again, brother. Thank you, David. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270 love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. And this man told me, he said, did you know that we have uh, evolved from protozoas? Do you know what a protozoa is? No, I do not. It's a god-dong sea monkey. Say what? Can you imagine that? Looking around at the loved ones, at your mother, at your father, at your beautiful wife, and saying, you're a sea monkey. You belong on the bookshelf of a child that's going to neglect you and watch you swim around for a few days and then end up falling to the bottom of the sea monkey aquarium and turning into dust. Holy ghost power, that's awful. Did you evolve from that, Don?